Thank you for tuning in to a new episode of Know Your Parents. Each week, we bring you a new guest to discuss engineering and culture. We go deep on how they started at Instacart, what they do day to day, and how they have fun. You can find us online at tech.instacart.com, on Twitter, and on Facebook. Subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please write us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. It goes a long way to help other people discover our podcast, so thanks. Good warm-up. So, um, Will, I know that um, you, like, you, you, you moved here from somewhere, right? Like, you're not buried in native. Yeah, no, I was not born here. Uh, directly prior to California, I lived in Colorado and Denver. Mm-hmm. That's where I went to. I went to a boot camp, you know, immersive program, whatever. And I grew up on the East Coast. So I grew up in... Uh, <laughs> Some variation of uh, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, and Virginia. Oh, nice. Yeah. So what, what forced you to move to Colorado and then here? So it's interesting. I've, uh, I've done a lot of, lot of things over the years. Uh, I was a tennis coach for a long time. I was mm-hmm. a tennis pro. Worked in a deli for a while. Uh, recorded bluegrass music. Um, that was my job prior to becoming a developer. Mm-hmm. So I was doing doing the music recording thing down in uh, Central Virginia and then, you know, Southern Virginia, Northern North Carolina. And I was that for five years. Mm-hmm. And it was great. You know, a ton of musicians were down there. Did that with my dad, who was uh, really involved in the old-time music scene uh, back in back in the 60s. And did a lot of recordings, like Clawhammer banjo and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, so <coughs> it was... Uh, you know, well-known, well-respected in that industry. So when he retired and I finished college, we, we teamed up to, to sort of do that type of thing. Um, so I did that for five years, and it sort of it, uh, it naturally came to a close and eventually, you know, sold the business to, to a friend of ours. It was always kind of a passion project, mm-hmm. so I said I would do it for as long as made sense. Um, but like you sold it, it was successful. Yeah, I mean, I can't disclose the amount, yeah. but uh, I, I wouldn't describe it as uh, exorbitant or really any, like, a substantial amount of money at all. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was cool. It was, yeah, it was really, really a, a passion project type thing. So mm-hmm. I had a lot of fun with that and, you know, so a lot of friends from, from that scene. Okay. So sort of at, a, like, a very, very kind of hard fork at a crossroads. So kind of I weighed a few different things. Um Looked at, you know, maybe going to... I didn't have any professional sort of audio engineering training, mm-hmm. uh, which was good for... Worked out for kind of the traditional folk music scene since the goal is kind of to capture the sound uh, yeah. as accurately as possible. So I did very, you know, like minimal post-processing. Um, so I thought about going to school for that. You know, I thought about going all these different careers. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I had a friend uh, who works in the aerospace industry who's actually a Fortran developer. Oh, <laughs> so, he's, uh, yeah. so he does all kinds of crazy stuff. I think what he did was computational fluid dynamics. So he did stuff for, you know, mm-hmm. Boeing and people building jet engines and that type mm-hmm. of stuff. But he was a big Python person, too. Um, so, you know, we, we had known each other for a few years, and he kind of put me on to programming in general. Mm-hmm. And that was the first sense I got, uh, got of it as a career. So at that point, you know, like... Um, I'd, I'd had an undergrad and something totally unrelated. I was a big humanities person, so I had, I had an art history degree. Mm-hmm. And this was right around when um, the idea of like the sort of truncated code school, um, sort of like very very immersive, um, but not four year programs, where mm-hmm. you know boot camps were becoming really popular. So I started to look at those, mm-hmm. and 
found some really good ones in Denver, and uh, originally started looking out there. I had a friend who moved out there who was who was you know eager to to have some more more buddies out there, mm-hmm. um, sort of build a base around. Yeah. So the, the two of those things sort of uh, you know coalesced, and <clears throat> it was uh, it was really just kind of like a, I had to make a crazy decision to kind of move, you know. Not across the country, but halfway across the country, yeah. and you know, stop working and and uh, go to this school, which was like a seven month program. So that was what originally brought me to Denver. Okay, so w- what was the boot camp? You might be asking. Which boot camp was yeah, it? Yeah. It was the 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 long name is the Turing School of Software and Design, uh, or Turing for short. Mm-hmm. Um, it was cool. It was, uh, it was an unbelievable program. You know, I'd originally applied to. Uh, a different program that the the founder ran previously and then <clears throat> sort of while I was in the process of researching he he started this new school mm-hmm. so it was a totally new thing um we were you know my my cohort and I were the first class so oh, nice we we did we did the whole thing we got there and you know built all the desks and all the chairs and <laughs> we had people you know if he was like two-handed drills you know like mounting the TVs on the wall and the concrete Um, so it was great. It was like uh, a little bit of Not sort of like... Not just school. It's kind of life. Uh, yeah, exactly. Beautiful life. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, that's cool. Yeah, so it was like... At the time, they even it was like they bought a bunch of Ikea countertops and legs that wasn't like a set that were made for each other. Just mm-hmm. sort of like, this is what we had. So it was cool. It was... Uh, but it was, it was just sort of like the the caliber of the teaching... And sort of the people we were with was was the reason. So a very very uh, uh, DIY type of feel. So in that yeah, this, is, this sounds like an amazing experience. Um, yeah. So and and you stayed in Denver and like uh, what, what did you do when you finished the, the boot camp? Yeah. So it actually took me a few months to to find work. So you know, as all boot camp graduates do, it kind of uh, you know as part of the last module, it kind of hit hit the ground mm-hmm. and. Um, applied to a bunch of different places, trying to trying to see what was a good fit for me. Um, originally, really wanted to stay in Denver. Mm-hmm. It's like I think everyone who moves there uh, kind of falls in love with it. Um, I mean, it's I guess it's, it's changed a lot even since I lived there. But uh, I really wanted to stay. I'd never I, you know been on the East Coast my whole life, but uh, I think my personality sort of fit the pace there a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You know, it looks like very very outdoorsy. People seem to be generally very very kind and easygoing. So I really wanted to stay, mm-hmm. um, but uh, you know, one of the downsides of having boot camps there is you get to some point of like saturation. Mm-hmm. So I was really I think a lot of classmates who you know had kids you know going to like middle school next year mm-hmm. and that type of thing. And mm-hmm. so I really had less of a reason to kind of stick uh, to stay there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was encouraged to really apply a lot of different places and. Um, eventually, I just you know decided to do that. So I sort of uh, was willing to go anywhere, you know, within the in um, in the U.S. Really. So one of the, you know one of the good things they able to really open up like the pool of companies I was applying to. So I applied to companies in you know New York and Portland, Chicago, San Francisco, L.A. Um, I'm sure a few other places too that I can't remember. And so I did a, did a ton of interviewing and. Eventually, uh, you know, connected with with uh, someone named Paul Dix, who was the CEO of Influx Data, uh, which at the time was Influx DB. Um, mm-hmm. So they were they were hiring people to work on their their visualization tool. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they have a whole sort of <coughs> uh, time series solution. So Influx DB was kind of the core product, the database, 
and they built uh, these other products around it, you know, like mm -hmm. a collector, sort of a post-processing tool, and uh, the visualization piece, which is what I worked on. Um, so I, so uh, actually, um, my roommate now and I joined that company at the same time. We were part of the same class in Denver, you know, moved out here at the same time, and just figured, like, why don't we just live together as well? Mm -hmm. um, so we really... We really went for it, um, so it was great. So I, like, I finally sort of found a good fit. It was a very small company, so I think I was the eighth employee, something mm -hmm. like that. Um, so I think at that moment it really clicked, yeah, and it was like, you know, I had to start start packing my bags and try and find a place uh, in the Bay Area since Influx TV was based out here. So mm -hmm. that was back in, I think, um, yeah, around January 2015. So mm -hmm. then finally made it out here a couple months later. And, uh, yeah, the rest out here has been history. Cool, cool. Um, so how did you found Instacart, and uh, how did you get here? Good question. That actually starts with Turing also. Mm -hmm. So um, <clears throat> InfluxDB was great, and uh, <clears throat> I think at the time I was looking for a slightly bigger product company, mm -hmm. um, sort of doing a little more... Uh, I don't know what the right word is, like a little more traditional work, but I really wanted to work on kind of like a, um, you know, big web app, uh, you know, e-commerce seemed, seemed to fit the bill. So I just started poking around and really it was like I didn't find Instacart in any job listings. Um, mm -hmm. So someone in the, in the Turing Slack group shared the Ruby newsletter, um, which, uh, which Andrew Kane um, had uh, left, uh, left a note in. You know, left his his Instacart email and said, you know, they're hiring Ruby developers. And I was not a Ruby developer, mm -hmm. but I decided to respond anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, most because I knew, uh, I didn't know them directly, but I knew through other people, two people who had worked here. Mm -hmm. um, so I, you know, said, okay, this might be kind of perfect. Like, this was back in 2015. Um, mm -hmm. So Instacart was sort of, sort of like... Uh, not not maybe a, a like nationwide household name yet, but getting there. So like, if you were in tech circles, you knew who they were. Um, you know, it's like rapidly expanding products, sort of company on a on a rocket ship kind of trajectory. So I was mm -hmm. like, okay, cool. Lots of people use this. It seems like a really really interesting product. Mm -hmm. I saw, and I was a big React person at the time. Uh, not that I'm not now. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm also that now. But saw that the front end used React and. Um, Sort of clicked, so I sent, I sent back to the, I sent a note um, to to Andrew, and then reached out to the uh, the other Turing people who worked here. Mm -hmm. I like to think that they sort of like vouched for me, so I got a, got a response pretty quickly, in like 15, <laughs> 15, 30 minutes. Oh, and, really? <laughs> yeah, and that sort of kicked off the whole interview process. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I didn't interview anywhere else at the time. I just sort of sort of like wanted to see uh, how it went, and things moved really quickly, and uh, turned out to be like a really good fit. So, yeah, that, that brought us to, uh, yeah, I think it joined September 2016. Nice. Yeah, that's, like, quite a successful story. So. Yeah. yeah um, so what, 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 uh, what do you do today here? So uh, I still describe myself as a full-stack developer. That was mm -hmm. one interesting thing when I, when I joined. It was kind of a transition. Like, Instacart didn't really have a designation between uh, front-end and back-end. I mean, of mm -hmm. course, people... Um, specialized in certain areas, but you know, my title before had been officially front-end developer, like I did mm -hmm. probably 80 or 90% of my work uh, you know, in the browser and the client mm -hmm. and React. Um, so, uh, <coughs> excuse me. Um, 
So I definitely learned a lot, especially more about back-end work. Mm -hmm. um, but now, so I work, uh, I'm on the checkout team now, officially mm -hmm. the checkout and post-checkout team. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, that's more recent, so for the, you know, for the first year and a half or so, I worked on Express, you know, the subscription service. Mm -hmm. um, so did a ton around, you know, Express upsell, we sort of did all the subscription management, we did, you know, renewing Express subscriptions, um, admin functionality, you know, anything sort of express or express adjacent uh, was us and then mm -hmm. um, sort of merged in checkout along the way <laughs> so now I spend most of my time working on checkout so I work a lot in the web front end mm -hmm. um, we're always running new tests and things like that and trying to improve performance and you know have all the right monitoring and those types of things and and post checkout as well so working a lot on things like order ratings um, once mm -hmm. you work on you know uh, like uh, order changes and notifications and things like that, replacements, um, refunds. So anything within sort of the checkout and post-checkout uh, pipeline would yeah, be so you would pretty be much wheelhouse. Yeah, touch like everything that was connected with like the, the customer side, like even though it was like order and, uh, che and checkout, it's like since we kind of were moving and reshuffling teams that you like touch like a more part yeah of yeah exactly I mean we have we have the customers group which uh, you know has teams that work on the storefront as well and mm -hmm. um, also you know growth teams and, and orders and payments teams and things like that and anyone who works in this area kind of touches everything eventually um, there's yeah. sort of you know lot, lots of uh, product overlap and things like that but uh, yeah I like to think um, yeah I've run like a wide, wide gamut of uh Customer-related issues. Yeah. So, w w what's your typical toolkit like what, uh, that you're using today? So, you, you, most of the stuff you're doing is still React, right? Yeah. You know, still very, um, very, very bought into React. Although, mm -hmm. you know, we thought about, uh, you know, stopping everything and rewriting to Vue when they pass React in the star count. Um, so that's that's the most important metric, you know. But that that got shot down, so we're sticking with React. But uh, no, Re React has been great. Like it's it's really an unbelievable tool, and uh, React will be around for a long time. But sort of uh, you know the paradigms it helped didn't necessarily invent, but helped popularize, and it will be around for a long time. Mm -hmm. So like this reactive model, um, one way data flow, sort of more like uh, you know state driven UI as opposed to like event driven UI. Um, so big React users, uh, we use Redux as well, mm -hmm. <coughs> which has uh, you know worked out well for us. Um, you know we're thinking about looking into more like the new concept context APIs for sort of sharing data between pages and you know discrete components and things like mm -hmm. that. But Redux has been great for us for um, you know, more core functionality around things like addresses and subscriptions. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, let's see what else. We're big Webpack users as well. Mm -hmm. We do uh, have a lot of code. It's a very big code base, so um, we have a platform team. Um, that's uh, one person for the front end at the moment, but they do a ton of amazing work to sort of uh, you know speed up our builds and make sure you know we have you know, we have uh, you know fun new features to use and sort of make the developer experience um, sort of the right right uh, you know. Make sure it's it's it works for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, we do. Uh, we we definitely got on board sort of the the CSS and JavaScript train. Mm -hmm. um, so we use uh, Radium as as our sort of style library, which um, is great because it you know it writes a lot like CSS. You know you still the same syntax for things like media queries. Mm -hmm. um, we've been pleased with it so far. You know it's like being able to sort of componentize styles has been great. Um, 
You know, there are downsides. There are things we do miss from, you know, language features from CSS, things, things like support, media query, pseudo elements, you know, require libraries to do stuff. But uh, for the most part, it's been great. You know, it made um, our theming system really easy. We can sort of, you know, return theme styles from the API and you just merge JavaScript objects and things sort of happen magically. Mm -hmm. um, that's what we use on the style side. Uh, I'm trying to think if we've got anything. You know, we use a lot of the standard utility libraries, you know, underscore, low dash. Mm -hmm. uh, we still have a bit of backbone. Um, and Instacart.com as well. Mm -hmm. Sort of, uh, we have way less than when I started, but there's still some core pieces um, that, you know, have, have worked well for us, so we haven't, uh, haven't prioritized them as much for swapping them over. Um, how, how does it live together side by side with Redux? Uh, with Backbone? Mm -hmm. um, Backbone and Redux don't interact too often. Um, we use Backbone for our routing at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, this, you know, for, for the same reason I cited before, it's just like it, it works well. Mm -hmm. um, we'd, we'd like to move everything over at some point. Um, we also use, I think there might be only one view left, but we sort of use uh, Backbone as the, as the glue for one of our views. Mm -hmm. um, and that just sort of you know, shells out to a bunch of, bunch of React components. Um, we used to have a ton of you know backbone models and backbone doing a lot of the logic, but uh, mm -hmm. we're able to move a lot of that to the server, and what sort sort of fits our our um, engineering organization's uh, breakdown as far as like you know making sure we're not too resource constrained on mobile. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Cool, cool. So what about like more like your personal tools like the editors, like grab replacement and like. Um, like what? What's your typical environment that 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 you use in day to day? Sure. Uh, good question. I'm trying to see what what to, what to start with. Uh, so I, so I was a big Vim user. Mm -hmm. um, I guess you could still say that. I don't use Vim directly, but I use the the Vim mode in VS Code, which is right. which is amazing and and keeps getting better. Um, but so I was a Vim user until I started working here because I had trouble. Like Control P is a great tool. Um, it's like a Vim fuzzy finding plugin, mm -hmm. but it wasn't doing that great with, uh, we have a big mono repo, so it was not doing well with like searching through files, so I tried Atom, but that also, you know, had some uh, like very noticeable performance issues at the time with, a, mm -hmm. with an app our size. It could be way different now, but uh, just, you know, like all the hype around then was building around VS Code, so mm -hmm. I installed and tried that. Um, and haven't looked back. It's an amazing tool. So we share a lot of you know React snippets around the company. Mm -hmm. People seem to be kind of coalescing around VS Code. Um, yeah, I'm I'm myself very big VS yeah. Code user, so I'm on the same page. Yeah. Ever since I tried it, and like I never looked back. <laughs> oh, it's incredible. Yeah, the plugin community keeps getting better. Um, yeah, I think uh, <clears throat> everyone in the JavaScript world uh, I think really appreciates Microsoft nowadays. You know, they're one of the one of the big names in open source, so they gave us VS Code, working a lot on Chakra. Um, but uh, yeah, they're, they're giving a lot back to the JavaScript community. Um, oh, TypeScript as well, can't forget TypeScript. Mm -hmm. uh, so VS Code's great, you know, it's like it's, it's also, uh, the code's all open source, so it's fun to go read sometimes, like it's a really well-written app. So sometimes I uh, steal some inspiration or ideas from uh, the, the, the code repo. Um, but other than that, uh, I still use, uh, I'm trying to switch myself back into like the find and project in um, VS Code, but I still use git grep a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, um, I feel like the biggest skill I developed here 
you know, it's like the biggest growth rate was my like fuzzy finding ability, my ability, <laughs> my ability to like find code within files. Um, so Git grep is really useful for that. Um, we use a ton of the standard uh, VS Code plugins, so you use Vim mode. Um, shout out to Night Owl, which I think is the best sort of like uh, syntax theme I found uh, in VS Code so far. So love that. Um, I use something like the Git stuff, like Git Lens. Although I don't, I don't use it, use it too much. Um, yeah, other than that, just a lot of snippets in there. I sort of configured it to work like I used to have Vim. Um, mm -hmm. you know, like um, Control H and L can sort of bring you back and forth between Windows, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the big one for me. I'm trying to think if I use any other any other major tools. Um, as far as locally, other than that, it's just you know Google. Mm -hmm. So. The, those are the main things I'll have open at any time. Um, I've messed around with things like Dash before, documentation, things like mm -hmm. that. But uh, VS Code seems to do um, everything I need now. I'm also a big note taker. Mm -hmm. I like oh, I like compulsively take notes. Um, what are you using for that? Yeah, so right now, honestly, just use Markdown files. That's what I still use Vim for, so I have this whole, like, yeah, it's this whole crazy system that someday I keep telling myself I'm gonna like build some structure around. But it was like I was writing so many notes I got frustrated going back and forth between files. Mm -hmm. So I created like a tagging system for myself. So I just have a file with, you know, like ten thousand lines. That's my notes from the last, you know, however <laughs> many months. Mm -hmm. um, I've tried them all though. I mean we we use Quip here, I've tried uh, I really like Notion. I think the like the only editor that's uh, like got me close to, to switching off of just normal text files is probably bare. Mm -hmm. For the same reason, it's really nice to, uh, you know, like reference text from other files. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but I've tried, tried but the it's volume. It's not really referencing files from other files. It's more like you have tags, like that kind of groups files together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was like I wanted, wanted that part to be automated, so I had to think less about, you know, like... Um, when I write notes, I just want to do like a quick jot and then come back to it, mm -hmm. because... Uh, you know, it's like, like many, I suffer from uh, distractions, so mm -hmm. I try and, like, something comes into my head, I'll try and write it down and just move on immediately instead of dwelling on it, so that part really uh, makes a big difference for me, so I tried, tried it all, you know, I tried Evernote for a while, I'm actually a huge Wonderless fan, but mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't use it for, uh, for notes or anything like that, so. Okay, do you use anything for, like, your, like, like work management, task management, or like the load. So how do you, how do you manage like your? Yeah, work? yeah. I've tried all sorts of things with that as well. Like we uh, um, in Scart we use Asana. So try and I have like a personal board for myself in Asana, mm -hmm. and it's just like the backlog kind of grows and grows. I hate to say it, but I use text files for that as well. I just sort of like <laughs> use you know Markdown and do my best to keep everything in order. But that's sort of for like. Uh, um, Seems like a nerdy analogy. That would be like the RAM, you know what I mean? Those would be like mm -hmm. the in-memory the in tasks that are about to be completed. But long-term stuff, I would try and put in something else. So, I used to have my own Trello board. And uh, that sort of spiraled into had, you know, like 15 columns. And I just sort of went back to just like text files. So, uh, yeah, I really, um, I don't, <clears throat> I'm trying to find a good tool for this. But uh, I also got a good suggestion from my manager to keep a time log. Mm -hmm. Sort of helps me, uh you know, stay on task, and so it helps keep me accountable a bit, I mean, if there's, like, a record mm -hmm. of things that are happening, so I don't want to write down, you know, that I, like, looked at, uh, looked at GIFs on Slack for 30 minutes, mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm trying to find a good tool for that, um, and also, uh, the other big thing I do is, like, the Pomodoro thing, mm -hmm. that's the other thing I try and stick to religiously, 
So, you know, work for like 25 minutes at a time. Uh, sort of you know, helps you focus on one task. Do you task. use physical Pomodoro or like you have... No, like no, I have, a, I have, you know, there, there's an app for that. So, mm-hmm. so I, have, I have a little uh, little app. But I'd like to... I, I'm thinking about trying to write one myself. You know, maybe learn Swift or something like that. But mm-hmm. I wanted it to... Uh, at the end of 25 minutes to like prompt me for what I worked on and then that would automatically generate a time log or something like that mm-hmm. but uh, yeah I just use an app that like dings you after 25 minutes and works pretty well you can configure it so it's like after four or five sessions it'll give you like a 15 minute break and things like that um, so that's the one thing I try and stick to pretty religiously like um, I won't use it every hour of every day but it's, like especially if I feel myself uh, starting to slip like you know sort of drift off mm-hmm. I'll try and stick to it and Sort of like the counter is like, all right, I can focus for twenty five minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, let's let's uh, yeah. let's see if we can I, do I, this. I, th- I think Pomodoro is amazing. It's like when when you, when you have a, actually building the habit to stick to it, it's, it works very well because you like you, you focus much better for short periods of time when you deliberately making breaks between them and like going back to. Oh uh, yeah, exactly. I totally agree. Yeah, to me, it's it's very similar to. Um, you know how you would break up tasks for a large project. Yeah. Like if you try and consume the whole thing at once, it's a good mm-hmm. way to overwhelm yourself. Yeah. But with a Pomodoro, it's like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. You know what I mean? Twenty five minutes is you know like a like a sitcom. Um, yeah. So, it's just a way to like break the work into chunks, and so you can sort of uh, like jettison everything else from your mind except what you need for that for that like short period. So, uh, highly recommended. Um, cool, cool. I want to switch gears a little bit, and um, so I know that you wrote a book, and uh, I really wanted to talk to you about that. So, what is the book about, and how come that you actually managed to do that? Sure. Uh, yeah, it was it was crazy. Um, so, so I co-wrote a book called Redux in Action, uh, mm-hmm. which was published by Manning, um, which does a ton of great books. They they have a uh, you know common series that's so like you know blank in action or blank in practice. Mm-hmm. Machine learning and action, that type of thing. So, they were great. Um, so, I'll, I mean, I'll take you from from the top down. So, yeah. so where we started was uh, my co-author, um, somebody named Mark Mark Garo, who's who's a great guy. We had kind of rhyming both French last names, so I feel like it was it was meant to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> he had done some writing about React and Redux that uh, you know got a lot of traction. So they reached out to him um, and. Redux is something we had worked a lot uh, with together. Mm-hmm. He was also someone from my original cohort at the Turing School, and uh, you know he and many others I've sort of stayed in touch with over the years, which has been one really cool aspect of that program. But uh, he reached out and said, "It was like, hey, I'd be interested in co-authoring this book." And without really thinking about it, I was like, "Yeah, definitely." Yeah. Um, and uh, um, I mean, it was there were times it was very hard, but I'm glad I did that. Like the the experience was very rewarding. I'm glad I did it with someone else, too. Like, if it was just me, there were many times where I'm sure I would have just, you know, pulled the plug and said, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, having, having someone else kind of lean on w- was amazing. So the whole process was, uh, you know, sort of, there were other, like, they reached out to us, but there were other people, you know, who were up for writing the book, and we, we really wanted to do it, so we tried to be proactive about it and sort of had to pitch to, to the publisher and... Um, you know, some of the people who, who run the programs over there. And uh, so they picked us, and it was an amazing experience. You know, Manning has a very specific style of how they want to write books. They have mm-hmm. sort of this teaching philosophy they've picked up over the years, which I've really appreciated. Like, <coughs> it's, it's easy to fall into the trap of, you know, it's like, 
you know, a lecturer in college who's sort of like a famed researcher, but, mm-hmm. you know, doesn't have as much experience, like, actually teaching. Mm-hmm. It's, like, uh, not as good as the at the uh, pedagogy aspect. So they really... They really had a lot of tools and and uh, tips they gave us to write like a Manning book, like and uh, it was great to learn. You know, we covered concepts like uh, that I still use to this day, even just mm-hmm. you know, writing pull requests or writing short blog posts, things like that. Um, mm-hmm. Big on the idea. Do you have of, like any examples of what like what what was the aspect? Yeah, definitely. So they like my favorites were uh, the MQR, so the minimally qualified reader. So the idea is that you know you would explicitly write down. Um, the base requirements for someone reading your book, and it seems like a simple idea, but I, I've never heard of that concept before. But it was mm-hmm. amazing, and uh, you sort of keep referencing that document throughout the entire writing process. Like I think it, it from beginning to end, we, it probably took us like a little more than nine months to write, but we kept coming back to the MQR, and you sort of use that as a baseline to. Mm-hmm know what concepts um, it's like on one hand if you explain every concept you introduce you know it's like the book will be 10,000 pages but uh, if you hand wave everything like there's only a very small portion of people who are able to, like going to be able to find your book useful so we sort of wrote down the base requirements you know like some JavaScript experience React experience is helpful but not required because mm-hmm. um, it's Redux you know it's sort of like a specialized library for a front end framework um, so that part was great and like You really, every chapter uh, I wrote or co-wrote with Mark, it's like, you keep thinking about that. So you come to a concept, and it's mm-hmm. like, oh, look at the MQR, should I, like, how much detail should I explain this in? Um, so so that was great. Another one uh, that was great was sort of concrete examples. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of helps you from being too abstract. They sort of have the same type of structure, where it's like you... You start a you know start a start a paragraph with sort of like imagine if or you know suppose this and sort of bring up a scenario and then go through all the code it takes. Um, so in that sense, and they had great examples of all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's number two maybe. maybe. Another one I would mention, and maybe the biggest one out of all three was this idea of a mental model. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not unique to this publisher, but mm-hmm. this was the first place where I really like you know spent a lot of time with it and learned about it. But uh, I encourage you to come up with a mental model. Um, they shared a couple great examples, some of which were actually, you know, handwritten. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was amazing. So they're sort of big architecture diagrams. And we we made one and we revisited it throughout the whole book. And the idea is that you have this mental model to come back to, and then we'll, we'll zoom in on a particular piece. Mm-hmm. So it was like, okay, we'll have a chapter on actions. Um, okay, so we'll so like, is it mental model of entire book or mental model of the topic or like what what's it mental model of? So our mental model would have been like the Redux architecture, sort of okay. how it fits into React. Mm-hmm. So it's like you worked with Redux, you've probably seen something like this before, but you know you have the store, the reducers, mm-hmm. you know the view triggers an action, action goes to the reducers, store broadcasts updates back to the view, a sort of classic like one way data mm-hmm. flow. Um, And so we just we we like tried to make a really simple, straightforward version of that. And as we came to specific concepts, we would actually like reprint the diagram in the book and and highlight certain pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of like that was like the most affecting effective like grounding model you know, I've ever used before. And so just a really good way to to like keep reinforcing concepts. And <coughs> software is one of those things where it's like you need mental models. Um, I'm definitely going to be plagiarizing someone, but I had a friend who pointed me out to this idea that it's like mental models are so important in programming because you can't see your code run. 
You know what I mean? It's like you can't see the electricity passing through and forth yeah. the gates or switches or whatever. It's not sort of like a more conventional machine. Like an engine, you can sort of see all the parts together. Um, so in software, a mental model is sort of... Uh, it replaces uh, that. Yeah, exactly, that same concept. Mm -hmm. um, so, that, so, you know, that was really helpful. Uh, so, you know, those are just a few examples. Those are probably the biggest ones. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the first month, we, we met with our editor a lot. Uh, shout out to Tony. Um, she's amazing. But, uh, and she basically taught us all this stuff. Um, so we went through and actually did sessions where you know, she was like teaching us how to, how to, not only how to write you know, the, the quote Manning way, but just how to write good technical, technical content in general. Mm -hmm. um, so that part was invaluable. Like if anyone's interested in writing a book, you know, like writing for Manning uh, has big benefits for just you as an overall writer. Um, it was also great as like, yeah, without them, uh, we probably wouldn't have finished how we did. It's like, they're very good at sort of keeping you moving along. Mm -hmm. <laughs> did, 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 like, did, did they set you deadlines? And yeah, ab absolutely. So we had sort of we had specific deadlines from the from the get go for the first third, second third, and the final manuscript. Mm -hmm. um, I forget if we hit everything exactly. I think we did. If we didn't, we got very close. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, so those were sort of the big milestones and. Um, you know, at, at big checkpoints like that, they'll have people review the manuscript and things like that. Um, so I assume it's the same at a lot of publishers. But, uh, yeah, so it was great. They sort of, you know, helped keep us accountable. We were able to get, you know, feedback on specific chapters. Like, mm -hmm. you know, Tony, our editor, would do a lot of copy editing and um, sort of, like, clarifying concepts and things like that. But we would send the book out to people, you know, who worked in Redux. Um, sort of give us feedback and, and those types of things. So overall, it was like an experience, you know, that got, you know, very, very close to, uh, I mean, not, not just like generally breaking me, but it's mm -hmm. like you sort of push to those points where it's like, yeah, sort of without, um, without the nudges, it's like I'm not sure if I would have ever, you know, <laughs> like taken it that far. But it was great, you know, it's like in, in situations like that, you sort of learn what you're capable of and, you know, sure, there's things that, you know, like, some, some sections, you know, I wish I would have, you know, taken one more pass at that mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, done a little bit better job with this. Like, overall, it's, like, pretty happy with what we came up with. Like, I think it's a very, very solid book. So, uh, not to say it was an easy experience, you know, on top, on top of working here, especially at a time where I was still in, like, a very steep growth phase. Mm -hmm. It's, like, learning new stuff every day to the point where it's, like, my brain is at a saturation point by the time I get home. Then you really have to like set a schedule for yourself to, uh, you know, to write. Like, I took this advice from Stephen King, but it's like mm -hmm. you have to write a little bit every day, which uh, I don't think I necessarily did, but I tried to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if, uh, if anyone out there ever wants to write a book, that would be my suggestion. Like, write a little bit every day, even even if you think it's garbage. But it's like the consistency is uh, what will make this make the writing process like a sane experience. Yeah, that uh, very good advice. I did, how much time did it take you overall? Is it, was it just like a year or like six months? How, how, how long it took you to... Good question. From beginning to end, probably like nine months. Okay. Um, we ended up writing, I forget, exact 12 or 13 chapters or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, we were only able to finish it in that time because, you know, it's like we were able to split up work. Uh, a few of the chapters Mark and I wrote together, uh, a few we wrote separately and sort of gave each other feedback. But... Uh, yeah, writing a book solo is a really tough task unless you're, you know, unless you're able to do it full time. Mm -hmm. So I'd say it took about nine months. Um, 
excuse me, it was a very, uh, you know, very accelerated process, but not mm -hmm. to the point where it was like, you know, I like sort of finished every week uh, properly exhausted, but not to the point where it was like, yeah, like, I don't know if I can, if I can continue. <laughs> so it was like, uh, I used to describe it as like uh, the metaphor of a cliff. It's like, so I was like sort of peering over the edge, but not, you know, fully falling off. Um, but, uh, you know, it wasn't sort of like 10 feet from the edge, kind of, kind of chilling out. So it was like, it's a very, it's a very, uh, exciting and sometimes scary place to be, but it was like, it was, it was a good pace. So it okay. worked out. Are, are you planning to write any other books on something anytime soon? Yeah. Or? I mean, it's like, it's been a while. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, uh, the last work I did was around Christmas when we sort of did the final reviews and shipped mm -hmm. things out. And uh, we did a little bit of edits over time, you know, as they, they start to, uh, you know, get more formal with the graphics and things like that. But I haven't done any hardcore writing yet since, like, January. So it's been, it's been a while. It's been, like, eight months. So mm -hmm. I've done some shorter form writing since mm -hmm. then. Um, I, don't think I'm, I don't think I'm necessarily, like, chomping at the bit to write another book for a publisher. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, eventually I would totally do it again. It was an unreal experience, just, like, and also just to have the reach that... Um, you know, Manny's one of the biggest publishers in, uh, in, the, in the software world. So to have their reach as well was awesome. You know, their marketing and um, they, have, they have like a... Even before we, uh, you know, took up the contract to write the book, I already knew they had a reputation for high-quality stuff. Like, mm -hmm. I had bought and read many of their books before. Mm -hmm. So um, <clears throat> I'd definitely be into it. If I did it again, I'd probably try and reach out to them and see if there was a topic they were interested in. Mm -hmm. But for the time being, I'm, I'm kind of cool writing uh, some more short-form stuff. You know, have some, some stuff cooking for the Instacart tech blog. Mm -hmm. um, I'm interested in writing uh, some more, um, not necessarily non-technical, but more like, uh, you know, about more like people-oriented in the software world. Like, like soft skills and... Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so you know, like, interpersonal stuff, how to, like, you know, um, how to run teams well, make sure everyone's heard, those types of things. So, yeah, more, more on that end. Um, I've also, you know, I've attempted to write about non-technical stuff, you mm -hmm. know, do some, like, armchair, like, album reviews or something like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just, like, something fun, fun mm -hmm. and uh, kind of out there. But if I, if I probably did another book again, I'd probably do it as, like, a serial blog post thing. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe just, like, release, a, like, a chapter, quote chapter, just, like, a longer blog post on a regular schedule. Mm -hmm. um, and then sort of, like, collect it all at the end for, for a book of some kind. Kind of like the idea of having a little bit more freedom. Like, mm -hmm. I think um, <clears throat> the two, like, my two favorite people, and I think arguably the two best, uh, you know, definitely two of the best are... Um, Lynn Clark and Julia Evans, who mm -hmm. do a ton of uh, ton of uh, comics type work. Yeah, um, you know Lynn Clark is famous for the React cartoons and the Flux cartoons, but also works on a lot of cool stuff at Mozilla now. Um, Julia Evans has these awesome, you know, Linux zines. Yeah, so it's just like these six panel comics of you know. Um, often very scary tools, like stuff you'd be in man pages for, but just very, like, accessible introductions to these uh, very hard topics. So it's, like, I think it's that type of area I'd like to explore, you know, like, more more casual. Um, yeah, I'd love to get back into, like, a lot of uh, 
I do this longer, I feel like I lose lose a little bit of the connection I had, um, sort of like being a beginner and what mm -hmm. it's like to. As I do it more, I want to write about more and more technical topics. Almost like you know, I'm trying to impress like no one in particular. Mm -hmm. you know I mean, so but I'm trying. I'm trying to remember that it's like I really got a lot of like, you know, I did this before the book, but got a lot of joy and satisfaction out of doing you know stuff for more beginning programmers because uh, that was me not all that long ago mm -hmm. so a sort of long and winding answer but uh short answer is yes maybe do yeah. a book again but not exactly you know knocking on anyone's door right at this exact moment so you know yeah. maybe if if the time is right we'll we'll see how it goes yeah yeah that's that's uh that's a good answer um so speaking of uh soft skills that you briefly mentioned so and as you said like given that you like what not that long ago, like like around like five years ago, you was like in the same position, junior developers, like maybe right now. So, what do you think is just like the most like the the most important uh, like non technical skills that like like people need to work on when they are growing up, like from junior to like mid and like senior position? Yeah, good question. It's it's like I think it, it uh, might be a little bit specific yeah. to the person, mm -hmm. but in general, I would say. Yeah, I don't know. There, there are plenty of good answers. Um, yeah, I'll have to think about that one for yeah. a bit. I want to say, like, this is going to sound kind of cheesy, but I think, you know, listening is a very good skill. Mm -hmm. I think that applies to someone specifically like me, mm -hmm. um, who's sort of in, like, a very well-represented group, mm -hmm. and sort of, like, you know, consciously or unconsciously, I'm used to sort of... Uh, be, being like accepted in these types of spaces, and mm -hmm. I tend to speak speak loudly. Mm -hmm. um, and one thing I had to learn was to actually pay attention to that type of stuff and read cues, and uh, try to you know like not dominate conversations as much. So just like you know listen, read cues from people, mm -hmm. um, make sure you know like everyone's input is heard. Mm -hmm. um, I guess that applies more towards like. Uh, you know, like as you as you transition from junior to mid, but mm -hmm. so that would be one. I mean, that that's that's going to benefit you at all all ends of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, expect especially if you're in you know overrepresented groups. Um, but also say it's like uh, I would also say like a fearlessness. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think uh, this definitely applies to me specifically, but I'm not sure the best way to describe it. But I, I think I learned a lot of things way earlier than I sort of accepted that I did. You mm -hmm. know, even with something like SQL. Mm -hmm. Sort of like I would learn SQL joins and I would be able to do them, and I assume I wouldn't know them. And then you know, three months later, I'd, I'd like look at joins again and be like, oh yeah, it's like back then I actually kind of understood them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so it's like, I think it comes from uh, definitely like a confidence issue, but uh, it's also something I call like fear-driven development. Mm -hmm. I mean, whether it's like fear of judgment, fear of failure. So at a certain point, you just have to sort of like throw caution to the wind and be willing to try things. Mm -hmm. It's not to say don't do your research, um, but it's also to say, like, you know, I've worked with a lot of junior developers, I'm a big advocate for it, and um, all the junior developers I've worked with have been able to contribute, you know, like, if not on day one, within the first few weeks. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I would definitely encourage, like, uh, to sort of, <clears throat> you know, do, do your research and, you know, like, think really hard about your problems, but yeah, like also just have have no fear. Uh, be willing to, you know, the best developers I know are, are like that. Mm -hmm. You know, they like freely admit they don't know everything, but they're also the most willing to try things, and, and that's how they learn. You know, they figure mm -hmm. out what works and what doesn't. Um, and yeah, fear is not something that sort of hold, holds them back in that regard. 
Cool. Um, so extending a bit about uh, on that, so what, what's your actually ways, how do you learn? How Like how did you learn SQL that you needed to write to the joint? So like do you prefer like to read books <laughs> maybe similar to what you wrote or do you <laughs> prefer like just like to just Google around for some stuff? Like so what, what's your... What's your favorite? Yeah, thing? good question. I think about this a lot because mm-hmm. I'm always trying to like maybe this goes back to the like the World of Warcraft days, trying to min max, you know, like get the most possible out of your character. But I'm always like sort of over obsess about trying to do the most optimal learning path. Mm-hmm. It's like just a, and I think it might be like somewhat human nature in that. In the back of your mind, you always want to make sure you're doing like the most you can with the time you have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because uh, life is short. So, but uh, I think I have a good pattern now. It's like, I think a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely like to read books, like, especially if they're from, from people I trust and sort of uh, kind of trust their opinions on certain topics. Read a ton of blog posts. Um, yeah, ultimately, like, I think there's, there, like, for me, it needs to be a good balance of consuming and producing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also, there's, like, a fear component to this, too. It's like, mm-hmm. consuming is um, way less stressful than producing. You know what I mean? It's like... yeah. With consuming, there's you're just reading books, reading tutorials. There's very little risk of failure. It's like failure is basically just like stop reading. Yeah. But when you're actually building something, it's like oh, okay, okay, this thing can break. It cannot work. It's like maybe I'm not smart enough to figure it out. So uh, I've never had success with only consuming or only producing. It's sort of like you need the right balance. Yeah, exactly. So I'd say also, uh, you know, I learn I learn things best by trying to apply something. So it's like. That's my. I still work with a lot of a lot of students from the Turing School. Um, you know, have, like have since I left, and and everyone's. It's it's like it really benefits everyone. They did. It's like you need you need to have a task. So it's like whether it's a project mm-hmm. or just a little toy program you want. It doesn't need to be sort of this like revolutionary thing. You can build something that exists, but the sort of the the act of going through it yourself is how you're going to learn. So mm-hmm. have a task and sort of. Uh, so like read as you need as you go so it's like okay I don't know how to do this let me read a few blog posts about this so it's like it's uh, almost never sitting down and reading a book from end to end um, it's like find those like blanks yeah, and you yeah, know exactly which... yeah I mean that applies to more like reference books um, you know like like Redux in Action mm-hmm. or whatever else um, so I'll never read it in, you know you don't read them from end to end you sort of take what you need you take stuff from blog posts and you know you figure <laughs> out that piece of what you're trying to build and you sort of keep moving on and on and on mm-hmm. and I think the hardest part is uh, especially when you're learning is when you don't even have the right vocabulary so you don't know what questions to ask so that's when it's good you know to, to work with mentors or, or ask questions online online forums you know uh, mentors things like that yeah and I think there is one more uh, problem with this. It's just like since you're kind of doing this like incremental steps, uh, it's like it's like in, in the like search graph algorithm, right? You can get like to the like end point, but there's like no really connection to the real target. Yeah. So, uh, and in this case, you kind of need to step back and kind of take like more holistic approach and take kind of overall like understand like the concepts like in the field that like you maybe don't know. So how do you, how do you Get get to this. Like, how do you try to find out when, like, if even when you're stuck, or like when you? I know that you're teaching as well, right? In the in the groups that, like, how how do you like help people to basically do this, like, step back and um, like review, like, and not not get them not get stuck in the yeah. 
Yeah, good question. So it's like it's uh, I'm trying to do my best, mm -hmm. my best at uh, the Socratic approach. You know, mm -hmm. so trying to ask lots of questions, um, less so of like, hey, no, you need to do this, but sort mm -hmm. of uh, you know, ask enough leading questions, and mm -hmm. you know, based on the feedback you get, you can sort of you know get into more and more detail. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, good question. I mean, I think you know, getting to those points is definitely a part of the process. Mm -hmm. So. So things like mental models can be helpful. So sort of like we'll try and draw out like, uh, you know, even if you're working on small systems, you can mm -hmm. still think about them in sort of larger components. Like if you're working in Rails, it's like you have your models and your views mm -hmm. and your controllers. Yeah. Um, sort of, uh, you know, break it out into like a holistic view that way. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the other good thing is just to always um, have an anchor. Like uh, an anchor could just be like an overall goal. Mm -hmm. Like I actually work a lot with people on uh, general problem solving skills. So a lot of it is sort of just like taking one big problem and breaking it down until you have bite sized pieces. Mm -hmm. So, um, and it's like, you know, just like any tree. So it's like you start with a task and it's like, okay, I have maybe three big subtasks. And each of those tasks has, you know, maybe five little subtasks. So it's like, I'll actually try and draw those out with people. So mm -hmm. it's like if you're at the very bottom of the tree, you're trying to do one thing and it's like, I don't know how to do this, I'm stuck. And you sort of like lose sight of what the goal in the first place was. You mm -hmm. just sort of like walk back up to the top of the tree and where things are more abstract and say, okay, I'm trying to do this. Like I already have these two parts, I'm missing this part. Um, just trying to like, uh, <clears throat> like not take in the whole problem at once. Um, but also if you're working on you know, a small piece, be able to like reframe it, reframe it in a more abstract way. Mm -hmm. um, as to it's like so you're not stuck on a piece and also unsure what you're what you're doing there in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, it's sort of a nice way to come back to an anchor. Um, and it's like uh, I don't know if this is still the case. But my favorite example is like SpaceX. You know their mission is to I forget yeah. if it was to get to Mars or colonize yeah. Mars or something. But that idea and it was like that's a very like a very difficult thing, but also a very simple concept. Mm -hmm. Like if you're ever wondering like why you come into work that day, it's like you can look back to that. So that's like a very large example of this, mm -hmm. but it's those kinds of ideas that I like. Sort of like you, you have a goal, no matter how difficult it is, you can break it down into its individual components. So yeah, just like making sure you still have a holistic view, which you can kind of quickly reference, um, and uh, you know you have a bunch of those together, and they sort of can make up a big task. You know, like build a blog engine in Rails or something. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Uh, that that was very. Detailed. Um, so, speaking of like your personal like the the anchors and like view like views on particular technologies that you're using, right? So, what do you think is just uh, were maybe like your mentors or like the books that you read that basically kind of formed your view or like maybe affected you the most? Did, like, can you name something? Something? Yeah. Okay. This, this will be good to think about. Um, Yeah, let me, I <clears throat> can't think of any books or like anything like that at the moment that sort of like inform that particular piece. But uh, I'll talk about a couple people and maybe mm -hmm. it'll come to me by the yeah. end of it. So there's been, you know, I've had, I've had managers here who really, uh, like, um, the number one thing they did was sort of give me like a more of a long-term vision. It was mm -hmm. like one of my managers, you know, the first time we work together, it's like, you'll typically ask like, what do you want to do in five years? Mm -hmm. um, this person asked, you know, where do you, where do you want to be in 15 years? Mm -hmm. It's like, oh my god, like I've never actually thought that far out. <laughs> and it sort of made me, um, made me kind of reframe my whole, uh, 
my, my whole approach to, um, you know, like what my personal goals are, what mm -hmm. my goals at work are, and that type of thing. I think I can cite a couple, couple of particular things. Um, so there's someone from GitHub who, who no longer works there, I think, but you know, came to talk to us at Turing, was a great person. I wrote a really good post about, uh, this is someone who is a really senior developer, basically like, you know, what, what they wanted from a manager. Um, and it was, it was tons of great stuff. You know I mean, it's like um, things like, uh, you know, if you, if you like to work off hours, don't make it super visible. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like don't, you don't, you don't want to encourage your team to uh, feel like they, they have to work like that. Mm -hmm. And little things like that was sort of, yeah, informed like how I interact with other people, even my managers or people that I'm, that I'm trying to mentor. Um, yeah, that's all I can think of for now. Okay, yeah. So... And you're talking a lot about <laughs> work. So what, what do you do, like, uh, for fun, like, when you're out of the screen? Or, like, maybe maybe you still have, like, hobbies that connect it. Yeah, I have a couple yeah. a couple hobbies that are sadly yeah. connected to computers and screens, but a couple that aren't, so I feel like I got the whole spectrum. Like, mm -hmm. um, I still have okay vision, but I feel like it's pretty soon I'm going to need some corrective, uh, <laughs> corrective stuff for the amount of time I spared the computer. So, uh, big banjo player. Oh, I didn't um, know that. So, yeah, I've been playing Clawhammer banjo for probably, probably like 10 or 12 years now. Mm -hmm. um, so that's great. I play mostly old-time music. So that, that was, you know, the type of music I recorded back, mm -hmm. in, back in Virginia. Um, so that's great. I'm trying to learn, you know, some old-time fiddle now, which has, you know, slightly, slightly less uh, success. But <laughs> I play on an electric fiddle, so it's like my neighbors can't hear me. Um, banjo's okay, because that, that sounds pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one of, one of my big things. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to, to reach out to some of the, the old-time community in, in the Bay Area and, and find some people to play with. Um, that's a big one. I'm also just a, a general fan of the arts. That's mm -hmm. the best way I can describe it. You know, I'm a big music fan. And I'm like all types of music, you know, big, big hip-hop hip -hop fan. Um, like a lot of, you know, punk rock and hardcore punk. Mm -hmm. Big, you know, in, indie rock. Um, <coughs> you know, folk rock, stuff like that. So... Mm -hmm. Big, big music fan um, trying to you know, keep keep my ear to the ground with a lot of uh, really good new stuff coming out um, mostly aided by by Spotify algorithms that's a big one you know um, I've always been a big big fan of fan of games um, mm -hmm. so all types of games you know PC or, or otherwise um, you know fan of, fan of all like all good TV and movies so I basically just described anything that's like a like a <laughs> creative art form but um yeah, so TV, movies, uh, like like reading fiction as well. Mm -hmm. um, read some nonfiction, but mostly try and read fiction, which I feel like you know, it's not it's not a book about you know like growth or business stuff, but it's like I tend to learn a lot from a lot of like a lot of stories. You know what I mean? Learn a lot yeah. about people. And well, what's your favorite fiction book? I think favorite fiction book of all time is uh, Lolita, by okay. by uh, Vladimir Nabokov. Mm -hmm. um, really fantastic. It's like some. Yeah, um, pretty pretty dark subject matter. Yeah, but he's just an incredible writer. Like, uh, I think um, people like to read fiction. Sort of, some people are sort of born liking fiction. Yeah. I was one of those people who was like, I was not really like the most um, most dedicated student. Mm -hmm. That's how I phrased it in high school, and didn't really mm -hmm. read for fun. And took a class on Nabokov in college. Mm -hmm. I just kind of clicked. You know I mean, it's like he he really. Um, it's a big kind of like form over content type of writer. Where yeah. I was like, 
really wanted to see someone what someone could do with the words. So and it's like Nabokov said this about Lolita. It's like yeah. not really about the subject matter. It's it's what the subject matter allowed him to do. Um, so, you know, we read the classic was reading all you know his Russian novels. So read stuff, um, you know, like. Uh, the defense and mm-hmm. and the gift and things like that. Yeah, um, invitation to a beheading. All stuff is great. Um, also great because he's one of the few writers who a lot of his Russian books he translated himself. So you know, he's one of the only people to really write masterpieces in multiple languages, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, but, uh, he, he was pretty interesting in the sense that he was actually teaching English and Russian literature. Yeah. in America. Yeah, pretty pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah he wrote. Um, I don't know if it was all of Lolita, but at least part of it in Ashland, Oregon, mm-hmm. which is, uh, my family's had a presence there for a while. You know, my brother lived there for a long time, mm-hmm. and mom, my mom lived there briefly. Um, so it was great, you know? He, t- like, I forget, he taught at Cornell for a bit. He might, have, he might have taught at Southern Oregon University in Ashland. I can't remember. Um, yeah, like that aspect of it was amazing. Mm-hmm. We actually, uh, as part of the class, we had, yeah, it's like people have published books of his lectures. So he did stuff like, he taught stuff like, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, or um, I think my favorite is his work is actually his, he actually his lectures on the, like world literature because he has like such a fresh view, on pretty much any classical writer. Yeah, which is sometimes very non-traditional, like very kind of and very rough, but yeah, very, definitely. Yeah. It's one of those people that's like. Our, our professor described him as having an intimidating vocabulary. Yeah. And he was kind of blunt and rubbed people the wrong way. But, yeah, really, really beautiful writer. Um, yeah, so I'd say my, it's probably my favorite book of all time would be mm-hmm. Lolita. Like, mm-hmm. really the one that it was like, felt like everything came together. And just a really, uh, really beautiful book. Like, I really like the idea of um, things that require, you know, multiple watchings or viewings. Mm-hmm. Like... My favorite movie the last couple of years was Get Out. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw it, but Jordan Peele's movie. And that's the type of thing where it's, it's almost more fun to watch it the second time. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. it's like, it requires really subtle hand. It's like, they sort of tell you what's going on the whole movie. But uh, you don't have any information like to notice it, so you don't. And you, you watch it again, it's like, oh man, all this cool stuff. So Lolita was very much like that, where it's sort of like he hid things in plain sight mm-hmm. from you. Um, yeah, so I'd say definitely a f- favorite mm-hmm. author f- and a uh, favorite book would be uh, Lolita. Cool, cool. Um, was there anything that you wanted to talk yourself and I didn't ask you about? No, I think we, we covered a, like, a, a good amount of the spectrum here. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I thought it was great. I touched a little, you know, hit React, hit Banjo, hit Old Time Music. Um, yeah, hit the classic Russian literature as well. Yeah. So yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah, cool. Uh, well, thank you. I think it was uh, amazing and very interesting. And uh, thank you for taking time for this. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Thank you. Know your parents.